went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So, Father, we pray for laborers, Lord, in the city of Gainesville and in our neighborhoods, Lord, and overseas, Father. I pray that you would send laborers to the harvest, Father. We need you, God. We can't do anything without you. I pray your kingdom come, Lord. I pray for Alex that the word that he brings would just be spirit-filled, Lord, that you would give courage and boldness, that you would trust you, Father. We love you, Lord. We may bless you, your name. We glorify you in this place. We be honored today. Let us be changed. Let us walk out with a, with a desire to pray, God, to genuinely pray, Lord. No one escapes this call. The psalmist says, sing to the Lord all the earth. What God has done in the gospel is worthy of global praise for all of eternity. And we've been confronted with the reality now of who we are in Christ. We see in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus, Jesus ascends to the right hand of God. He says, listen, I'm coming uh, back. But before I come back, I'm going to give you the first fruits of your salvation and you're going to experience it in its fullness one day when I return. But until then, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to fill you with power and love. And I'm going to give you greater works to be done than I even did when I was on the earth. That's what the scripture says. And in Acts chapter 2, <coughs> what does he do? He fulfills his promise. Jesus sends his Holy Spirit. And uh, fire settles upon every person. And they go and preach the word of God in boldness like they never had before. We see these things. And Jesus' word in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, ties the receiving of the Spirit, like we just read. It, tie, it ties the receiving of the Spirit with the witnessing that God's people will do in the world on His mission. Matter of fact, we just read that their receiving of the Spirit led to fruitfulness in God's mission like anything they ever experienced or had. We have the Holy Spirit. We have it. And now we arrive at such a beautiful passage it's not beautiful because of the sweet voice that Suzanne happened to read a bit. It's beautiful because of the beauty of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus' heart here overflows with compassion as he looks at the world of loss, at a world of lostness, of pain, confusion, and brokenness, etc. I want to show you today out of Matthew 9 that the confidence that Jesus gives us in how effective his gospel is is a confidence that will impart urgency in the people of God to lay their lives down on mission for the gospel. To reconfigure all that we think about our lives and leverage all that we are for the local and global advancement of the gospel. Many of you here probably think of mission like this. This is probably how you think of mission. Jesus calls us to go make disciples. I should do that. However, I look at my life, and I don't even really know where to begin. I don't know what it looks like for me to live on mission, for me to uh, 
live a life like the apostles, like the apostles, like the disciples in the book of Acts. It just seems totally foreign and impossible. And to be honest, I don't really have much time to do much. I've got a little margin here or there that I can fit some things in, but I don't have a lot of time to do a whole lot. What I will do then, this is probably what a lot of you think, what I will do then is uh, be intentional with scheduling a few things over the course of the year and having conversations with unbelievers if and when they bring up Jesus or religion or something like that, right? That's, that's the way that I approach it a lot of times. And that is where a lot of us are at. But Jesus is not mad at us for this view. He's not upset with us. He's not angry. But he would want us to know right here, right now, that he has much more in store for us than a non-committal, indifferent understanding of the mission of the gospel. He invites us in today, as much as he ever has, to consider the love of God in Christ. Consider what it is we say we believe when we say we believe the gospel of Jesus. Consider it. He invites us to that. Today, I can say with confidence that he wants you to see how much he loves you, how much he loves the nations, how much he's actually accomplished on the cross, and how all of these things will create in us an overflow of missional living like we never thought was possible in our life, like we never thought we could experience when we fully grasp what we see here. Jesus looked in verse 35, 36. Jesus looked at the crowd with compassion. I've heard uh, many say that this compassion that we see here because of what was going on in the original languages is it's more than what it really looks like on the surface. It's not a man, you know, the heart breaks for that. No, this compassion was a moving of the inner bowels of his abdomen, his stomach, the deepest of his stomach was being touched and affected. He was physically affected by the lostness and the unbelief and the hopelessness of the crowds. They had no direction. They had no shepherd. I'm sure many of you have seen the, this picture circulating in the news recently of uh, partial birth abortion. You know, that's something a few states are pioneering right now uh, where they're legalizing partial birth abortion. And there's this picture start circulating all throughout the news. I hope you're on Facebook, but if you're on Facebook, you probably saw this side profile of a partial birth abortion happening. Um, it's a graphic image. It shows this, uh, just basically what's happening uh, during a partial birth abortion. Now, I know for me, when I looked at that image for the first time, um, I was filled with this uh, something in my stomach that basically just said, this cannot be right. This can't be right. It just can't be God's plan, God's will, God's purposes. This is a child that's fully formed and it's ready to experience all that God had made it for. It was made in the image of God. And these doctors ended his life right before they was about to experience life. And regardless of where you stand on abortion, that's not what it's about. Regardless of where you stand on abortion, I think we can all agree that partial birth abortion is an atrocity. That's, that's, a, that's a major atrocity. And I believe as I looked upon this, this is what I thought. I thought, that is exactly the pit in the stomach feeling that Jesus had when he looked at the lost crowds. Because he doesn't desire that any should perish, but that all would come to a knowledge of the truth. And every person would come to know him. And he, he burns and he yearns with compassion and love 
and a pit in the stomach kind of feeling when he sees the lostness of the crowds. What a heart he has, guys. The heart of Jesus. Go and read a little book. Many of you guys are new, so you haven't heard me say this, but I say this often. Thomas Goodwin, old writer in the 16th century, wrote this little book called The Heart of Christ Towards Us Sinners. And it is the most amazing little book. And all it does is talk about how much he loves us, how much he's filled with love for us. And man, you see it on display right here. This is why he came preaching and teaching in the healing, verse 35. The kingdom of God was breaking in, and Matthew literally says this like four times in the first nine chapters. That the kingdom of God breaking in was Jesus going through all the, all the villages in Galilee, all throughout the area, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching the kingdom of God, and healing those who had various diseases. This is why the kingdom of God was breaking in. God demonstrated the love we see on display for the people in this, is that while we were still sinners at the right time, God came and died for the ungodly. That the lost sheep of Israel would not be lost sheep anymore. That the nations would not remain in idol worship anymore. The idol worship that defined them and took their culture over, that led them to death. But that they would have life. That is God's heart. That's what we see here. A heart of compassion and love and kindness towards us and towards the people here in this passage. And this should be confidence for us that we should feel the same way. But this type of motivation is not gospel motivation. It's not enough to say that we should feel this way because Jesus felt that way. Because that's not going to get you motivated and that's not going to allow you to suffer on mission for the gospel. So Jesus gives us true, deep, life-changing, paradigm-shifting, wholehearted life reconfiguration when he says this. He says, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Therefore, pray us the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, laborers into his harvest. I believe what Jesus says here is all the motivation we need to take the gospels to the nation, for the gospel to take over your heart, and for the spirit to be poured out in abundance of our city. To live lives on mission. And I believe that through the preaching of these words, of what we just read, the Holy Spirit can fill us with power to grasp these things, carry them into a lost world as we all experience the power of God and salvation of sinners through the proclamation of the gospel. So I want to start here with the first part of this statement. The first part of this statement, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. There are two conclusions I want to make about this statement. Number one, that there is a harvest. That there is a harvest. And number two, that the harvest is plentiful. What Jesus does not say is that there can be a harvest. Jesus doesn't say if we work really hard that we might see people change and people born again. If you really fine-tune that argument, you fine-tune uh, all of your life and you get your life really put together so that you can present, uh, you can present a beautiful path for following Jesus. The Bible doesn't say, and Jesus doesn't say here, that there can be one. Jesus, starting with a statement like this, tells me this. There is a sure and certain harvest that God is going to see because His Son has purchased the harvest. He purchased it. The book of Revelation says this. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. He says, you can turn there if you want. It's 12, three verses. It is an amazing passage. So if you don't turn there, at least right now. 
And the elders sang a new song when they stood before Jesus. Right after uh, we find out that only Jesus was worthy to open the scroll in eternity. Places of rejoicing. The elders, 24 elders, sang a new song saying this. Worthy are you, Lord, to take the scroll and open its seal. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked. This is John speaking. John having his revelation in the book of Revelation. Then I looked, and John heard around the throne living creatures and elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads upon myriads and thousands upon thousands, saying this with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Not dependent upon anyone. No power. Not dependent upon any other person then God is this particular truth that Jesus has purchased his people from every tribe and every tongue and has bought them so that they might sing a new song called worthy. He has surely done this. The harvest has already been bought. Salvation is of no one else. No other God. No other name. You know, when you look at the original Greek here, this is what I love about it, is that the word it uses there for ransom is the most simplest Greek term you can find. It just means bought. You know how you go to the store, you pick something off the shelf, you take it to the counter, you pay for it, you walk out, and as simple as that, it's yours? That's what the Greek is saying. Jesus purchased his people. This is what Peter and John say in Acts 4. They say this, they say, Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the, the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else because Jesus has purchased it. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name that can save us because Jesus effectively, finally, decisively purchased us before the foundation of the world. And no matter our sin, no matter our folly and our rebellion against the Lord, He will reap His harvest. Because it's his. And he bought it. He will bring home those that he purchased. And this is why. Because the sacrifice of Jesus is decisive. It doesn't open up an opportunity. But it decides right now that these are my people. It's decisive. What Jesus meant to accomplish on the cross, he fully accomplished. Completely. He didn't go to the cross and make an opportunity for us to be children of God. He made us children of God on the cross. He saved us. He gave you a new name. He didn't say, hey, you want a new name? He said, no, I want to make my people my people. Yeah. It's not up for debate. There is no, there's no court of, uh, there's no courtroom in heaven uh, deciding whether or not these things are going to happen. He decisively accomplished your salvation on the cross. He decisively accomplished full atonement for the sins of his people. And in his resurrection, we can be sure that he accomplished full redemption in the presence of God. We are completely his. And not only us, but the full harvest which he purchased even before we believed. Before we believed. I mean, we look at the, we look at the like Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 
I reference every week because it's a good framework for us to think about what's happening in our life. Ephesians 2 says we were dead in our sin, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, God made us alive in Christ. He, he, he did a work that was totally decisive. It's not dependent upon what we do. It's not dependent on how well you share the gospel. People are saved. It's not dependent upon how well you believe the gospel and how great your lives put all together. Jesus saved us. He picked us out of the pit. A pit that we could not get out of. He has saved us, guys. He is worthy of praise. And his global purchasing effect that he did is creating all the nations among every tribe and people a new song called Worthy. This is something he has accomplished. This is a reality that in eternity is not up for debate. It's, this is not a new song that's, that's a suggestion. It's not on the recommended playlist for Spotify. It is something that's going to be played and be sung for all of eternity. That worthy is the Lamb who was slain, who is purchased before all of creation in every tribe, people, language, and tongue. Do you believe that? Because let me tell you, when you, when you take a grasp of the gospel, then you do not doubt that it's going to reach every tribe, people, language, and tongue. As a matter of fact, not only do you not doubt it, you're, and you're confident in it, but you become zealous for the glory of God. Is that in your heart? If this is true, if God is the one who bought the harvest, purchased it, plain and simple, then the gathering of the harvest is not dependent upon us or anyone else. The harvest is not negotiable. It's not up for discussion. The harvest is God's, and He has bought it with His blood. Therefore, if the harvest is God's harvest, harvest is God's doing. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. From all people groups, from every nation, all throughout Gainesville, all throughout the surrounding area, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. People will know the Lord because this is what God is doing in the world. The kingdom of God is breaking in, not because of our moral resolve, not because of how great Soul City Church is doing ministry in Gainesville. God is breaking in because this is God's plan, not because we want it to, but because God is doing it. All the history books are working towards this end. All of creation is groaning for the full redemption of God's bride to be felt, experienced, and seen. And we can be sure of this reality that God is doing it. And that God has purchased from all of creation. This is God's doing it. And there is a harvest. There is a harvest. But number two, not only is there a harvest, but the harvest is plentiful. So we know that there is a harvest because of the finished work of Christ. What Jesus sought out to accomplish, he did accomplish. There's no confusion. There's no discrepancy about the gospel. But we also know from Jesus' words here that this harvest is plentiful. It is abounding. There is so much fruit waiting to be gathered in if this is true. And it is. The power of the cross is so great that every nation, that every people, is going to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Is going to call upon the name of the Lord, the only name that can save. When I think of the word plentiful in my mind, when I, when I think about this, I immediately go to a childhood memory I have of my nanny. My nanny was the most godless man, woman, <laughs> in the world. She was amazing. She was so great. She had this 1970 yellow granada. Does anybody know what granada is? 
1970, yellow Renata, the thing was basically steel. It was like a steel car. It felt like it was about 70 feet long. That's about how I felt. I used to ride in the back of that, back of that thing going to a church right down the street uh, on Sunday nights. I used to go to Saturday. Anyways, this is a side note. <laughs> but, on, but during the summer, me and my brother, we would stay there. And I could talk all day about that period of our life. Like it was just crazy, you know. She she didn't have cable TV. I come and stay. I'd be so bored, so we'd go outside, and that's just what we did. We just played outside, and we just did anything and everything. I built this sport out in the woods. It was amazing. But one thing that I remember about that time was there was this apple tree in her yard. She had this green apple tree, and my mouth can still taste the sour those green apples. I mean, it was just like, if you got one that wasn't quite right and you bit into that, it was like, you may remember warheads? It was like a warhead times 10 of what that salad, green apple was. But every year, I would always remember going to the apple tree uh, any time of the day um, during the summer, and there were always apples just everywhere. Small apples, big apples. They were just covering the entire ground. You couldn't walk. I used to, I didn't wear shoes during the summer at my daddy's house when I was outside. Walk over there and just like get a little too aggressive walking that direction and step on like 15 apples. I can break my foot. But there were apples to pick. There were some apples that were so ripe that they fell off the tree. There were just apples everywhere. And this is the type of abundance that Jesus is talking about when he says, Harvest is plentiful. There's, there's an abundance of fruit being ready to be born. There's so much that Jesus has accomplished on the cross. There's so much he's accomplished. The cross of Christ has effectively bought people from every tribe of people, language, nation, and tongue. He has he's bought people. Don't you think about how many people are in the earth? Think about how many people are, are in the course of history. Jesus has bought people, and it is plentiful what God is doing in the world. We don't have to, this is, this is the beauty about the mission of God in your life. You don't have to seek it out. God is moving. The Lion of Judah is on the move everywhere you turn your head. Because Jesus has bought global praise of all the nations. In Gainesville, and beyond, in Atlanta, in the United States. Everywhere you look, God is doing a move because Jesus accomplished so much. It is plentiful. The mission of God, that what God is calling us to, is not scarce. It's abundant. It's full of fruit at every turn. There's so much that God wants to use us for because of the plentiful souls that are waiting to hear the gospel. There's just so much he wants to do. But Jesus continues that where we should be rejoicing and sit in the power of the Spirit right upon that sentence. He continues and says that the laborers are few. Even though the harvest is plentiful. Even though there is so much fruit awaiting those who would Give their lives to the mission of God. So few labor over the harvest. So few. And this rings true for us. This is a prophetic word throughout all of history that God's gospel is so powerful that he takes the faithfulness of just a few and he makes his glory known through all the earth. And I think one of the major barriers or a few of the three, four major barriers I was thinking about of why people do not labor for the People do not live their life on mission or these. Number one is fear. Man's approval. 
looking for something that the world would offer you and being afraid if you step out in faithfulness to Jesus that you're going to be rejected and you're going to be persecuted across the world. The second one I thought of is just maybe just a lack of faith. I mean, here we are, reading the Bible. Do we see what we're reading? That Jesus has purchased His people. That He calls us on to a mission. The <clears throat> Son of God who ascended to the right hand of the throne came to us and says at the end of Matthew in chapter 28, go and make disciples of all of your men. What are we waiting for? Maybe because we don't really believe the gospel. Maybe because we really haven't taken hold of this. And we've talked about this as a church, that what we believe about our sanctification, so sanctification would be a fancy Christian term that basically means us growing towards and becoming like Christ. Sanctification for us is just justification by faith being worked out in every area of your life. So just believing the basic tenets of the gospel in every area of your life. That, hey, listen, God loves me. That affects how I parent. God loves me. That affects how I work my job. God loves me because of the work of Christ. It affects how I spend my recreation time. That's just sanctification being worked out. And I think a lot of, a lot of reasons why we fail to labor for the gospel is because of some of these things, namely lack of faith. We just have not believed the gospel and believed the truths that we see here in the Bible that Jesus is Lord and that we are a part of a new kingdom, a new family. All that defines us now is not our ultimate identity. But we're a part of this new kingdom breaking in that began and was uh, culminating in the person and work of Christ when he came and got on the cross for us and rose from the grave. That we're a part of this new initiative that God's doing of redemption and throughout all the earth. And he has allowed us to be a part of that. He's invited us in to the most life-changing revolution that this world's ever experienced. And here we are, by God's grace, hearing the word of God, given an opportunity to really commit to this urgent mission, this urgent call to make disciples on the earth. Another one is busyness. We don't labor for the gospel because, let's just be honest, we're really busy. Americans are very busy. We're the best at that. When I was in India, they took a, they took a two-hour break where they took a nap. Everybody in the whole city took a nap. Amen. Like, what are we doing with our lives? We're so busy. Jesus comes, but this is what I was saying. Jesus comes in the midst of that busyness to reconfigure our lives. Remember what we talked about last week, Matthew chapter uh, 11, or chapter, end of chapter 10. If you, do, if you do not love me more than anything else, more than your family, more than your kids, you're not worthy of me. Jesus comes in, he invites us into a new plan, a new kingdom, a new pathway for our life. And he reconfigures all that we think. What if we looked at our lives in the midst of all of our busyness and God's mission was the priority? If God's mission was the priority, then nothing would be off the table of not being able to go through. What do I mean by that? Well, my I only have this much margin in my schedule. I only have so much room for me to do this or do that or really devote myself to, to uh, sharing the gospel or, or discipling other men and other women. Well, maybe God is wanting you to reconfigure all that you are for the sake of the kingdom of God. Maybe Christianity is not this addendum to life. Maybe it doesn't fit in our cute little boxes that we have set up. And maybe Christianity is a wholehearted change in everything that you are. Maybe it's being born again. 
Maybe it's looking at all that you are and saying, I want to make much of your name, Jesus, even if I lose everything that I have. Is that your heart? When you believe the gospel and you're confronted with the person of Jesus and all of his fullness, you will see that he is offering you a new life, a new pathway for how you live your life, how you think about all of your, all of your decisions, all of your responsibilities, and actually wanting you to experience true life, maybe for the first time. What if God's mission was our goal? And finally, apathy. Apathetic churches, apathetic believers, indifference, an attitude of don't care. If this is you, I pray you see the grace and mercy of God and the gospel, and you repent today. You turn from being indifferent towards the mission of God. Jesus has given you a place in the kingdom of God. He's given you a place in His church. And your lack and your disobedience hurts us all. Because we're one body, we're one bride. And I encourage you to, to, to look at the gospel and see the person of Jesus and turn from your sin and turn to Him and let us all commit to follow Him like we never have. So the harvest is plentiful. Labors are few. And He gives us instructions here that I want to spend the rest of our time on. He gives us instructions. And there's three things I want to highlight. One is not explicitly in the text, but I believe it's implicitly in the text. So three things. If the harvest is plentiful, if there's a harvest and it's plentiful, and Jesus has accomplished what He says He's accomplished, then we should pray. The scripture here uses a word, diethete, Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, and it literally means to bind. Therefore, if the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, grab a hold of God. Wrestle with Him in prayer. What do we see in Jacob? Jacob's like, listen, Lord, I'm coming to you, and I'm not letting go of you until I get the full lesson. That is what God is calling us in here. To, to do right now as a body, to commit right now. Listen, Lord, there's so much more that you want to do in our city, in the world. There's so many more missionaries you want to send out. There's so many more trips we need to take to the nations to carry the gospel. There's so many more places in this city that your name has not been named. So we come to you. We humble ourselves. and we, we, we come and say we want to grab hold of this and we want to do it and we want to be used by you and we're not going to stop praying until we are. That's what the gospel calls us into this wholehearted devotion, this, this commitment together, this resolve inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit to say, I am taking the gospel to the nations, and Jesus, I need you. And guess what? He's going to meet you there. Because his heart is more than people would come to Christ than you desire it. Yeah. He desires for the nations to be glad in his salvation more than you even know about it. Pray that God would give you an overwhelming love for Jesus that flowed into all that you do, into everything that you do. What if in your heart you love Jesus so much that you could not stop talking about it? Let me tell you, there's people in our church that way. There's people that are starting to become that way because of the power of the Spirit. There's certain people, when I see them, I mean, I really care about what they're, what they're doing in their life. I really do. Sincerely, I do. But listen, Jesus is Lord, and our conversation goes there immediately. It overflows. Join London for those guys. Hey, man, how's your day today? It's good. But listen, Jesus is so good. Jesus is so great. That's how that's our conversations go. That's what deacons are about, bro. Pray that God would give you overwhelming love for Jesus. And if you don't have it, it's okay because he invites you in right now. 
to consider the love of God and be sheltered in Christ. Pray that God would use our church in Gainesville and beyond. Listen, we should be committed. We should be fervent as a body because of what we say we believe as a church. To gather in prayer and seek the Lord like we never have. Some ways that we do this. We have prayer nights regularly. Other things, we have prayer. If you, see, if you have your liturgy handout, you will see that there is uh, two ways that we pray on a regular basis. Women gather at 5.30 on Thursdays, and they pray. This past Thursday, maybe two Thursdays ago or something like that, they just walked around the city of Gainesville, and I'm just like, surely the Lord's going to break out. The Lord's going to break out because our people are praying. <laughs> I want you to be a part of that. I want you to be a part of it to where one day we're going to be standing... Um, in eternity. And uh, I, I know this is the case because Psalm shows us there's this passage in Psalms, this verse in Psalms, where the scripture literally says, when the Lord restored the, the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. And we can't even begin to dream what God is going to do in our midst, what the gospel has surely accomplished and purchased that he wants to do here in our city. And one way that we can press into that more than ever is just pray. Take hold of God like Jacob did. Take hold of him. Bind, to bind, literally to bind. Think about that. What does that even mean? Like taking hold of all that is the chaos of something. Bringing it in, taking hold of it, grabbing it. Like I, I think about uh, Ezra. Ezra, my little girl, she's running around like crazy. She is talking our heads off. <laughs> and it's great. It's such a beautiful season. But there's sometimes, like literally, there's sometimes where she's running around the house and I just got to grab her by the arm and like tell her some kind of instructions to do. Like, I mean, you know, I just got to grab her. And she's like, hey, calm down. Look, focus right here. Eyes on me. We need to go to church. So we need to get your doctor on you. Get whatever. You know. that, is, that is literally what the scripture's saying. That type of prayer is like, Grabbing hold of God and being, Jesus, send us, send us, Lord, send us to the nations. Use us for your glory. Do a work here. And man, that is a prayer. He is dying to answer. He is eagerly waiting for you to ask. Ask, and I will give you the keys. Pray that God will raise up men and women to go. So, another thing, just, you know, those, those prayer times, things, times when we get together, but also in your private life, pray. God would do this. And I think where we should probably start, as I've kind of already said, is start with your heart. Maybe there is that indifference. Maybe there is that fear. Maybe there is that lack of faith. You don't believe the, the, the truth of the gospel. It's okay. Just start there in prayer. Because prayer is not us uh, doing anything but adopting God's heart. It's us sitting before Him and saying, I don't get it, Lord, so I'm going to gaze upon you for a season. And Him giving you His heart. And you've seen it. Who he is, what, was the, what the mission of the gospel is. The second way, the scripture says here, harvest is plentiful, labors are few. Uh, go to the nations uh, and pray that God would send more labors into the harvest. Send more labors. I'm doing a lot of Greek this morning, guys. I'm sorry. The Greek word for sin is ekbali. You know when it's used? You know another time that that word is used? It's when Jesus is casting out demons. But the only other time we see that particular word being used is when he's casting on demons. So and this is what I know about this. This word is like very aggressive. I mean, every time we see it used in the New Testament, we're seeing Jesus like saying something, demons fleeing. Like a good example is when uh, Jesus 
cast out the demons out of that man, and they go into this group of pigs, and the kids, the pigs run into the, to the water because he has authority over evil. Evil has no claim. <laughs> has authority like that. The scripture here is calling us to sin with the same kind of aggression. To, in a sense, cast out our best into the world. Send them out. Get them out of here so that they can go and take the gospel to the nations. The kingdom of God, I may have said this before, when lived obediently and faithfully to Christ, is full of gospel goodbyes. It's full of goodbyes for the kingdom of God. It's full of people parting ways so that Jesus can be multiplied to the nations. It's full of sending your daughters and your sons and sending your best friends um, to a new part of ministry. It's full of multiplying community groups where we had a great time and I want everybody together, but guess what? Now it's time for us to multiply a group off and see Jesus' glory cultivated even more. It's full of planting churches where 50 of you go with whoever our next church planter is to go plant a church down the street because we want to cultivate the glory of God. It's full of all of these goodbyes because one day we're going to be reunited and all that God uh, wanted to do in the earth will have been accomplished and we will be with one another for eternity. This is just a momentary thing. But until then, we aggressively send you out. We cast you out. And we see God's glory manifested like it never has before. Let's see Solar City Church send more missionaries and more businessmen and women to the lost sheep that are all over the world. Especially here in Gainesville. Right here in Gainesville. Let's see that happen. Maybe it's China. Maybe it's Tajikistan. I want to go to Tajikistan. Just because of the name. Bhutan, Europe, South America, Lexi and Bernadette are going this fall. Amen. Alex, Lavasser, Colin, Lydia, Taylor, Logan. Am I saying that? That's it. Are going. Well, they're going. They're going. They're going to Young Life, and they're 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 going. They're, they were so excited, guys. I was spending some time with them, and like I could just see the excitement. Jesus was about to break out, and let me tell you, he was. He was going to. He's going to. He's probably doing it right now. Joel's going to the nations. Joel's going to talk. This is the church, and let us press even more into this. Let us press even more into sending. And sending people and sending people. And I'm not talking about just sending the nation, I'm talking about sending down the street. Just keep sending and sending and casting out and saying, You need to be mobilized for the glory of God. So we're going to do it. Let us send. And finally, let us go. Implicit in Jesus' words, there's a call to go. Matthew 10, literally following what he says, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. He sends them the next chapter. Matthew 10, he sends his disciples. To go and take the gospel on this little bitty short-term trip uh, to preach, teach, and heal all throughout the surrounding area. Jesus sent out his disciples to carry the kingdom to the world. And we already saw that with Jesus going to the Father, he's given us greater things to do through the power of the Spirit than even he did. We saw that in Acts chapter 2. We have the Holy Spirit, and he is calling us to go. If we're going to pray that God would sin and we're going to sin, then you better believe he's definitely calling us to go. He's calling us, he's calling us to the people who do not know the gospel. Look at your life. Are you surrounded with people who do not know the gospel? God wants you to see the love of God in Christ and see how he has given you so much, so much power in the Holy Spirit. 
to where you can leverage all of your time, all of your resources, all of your thoughts and capacity towards the mission of God here in Gainesville and beyond. So four things I want to say about how you do that. Number four, or number one, Mark 14 is this passage where Jesus is anointed at Bethany. And the lady comes before her, she bursts this perfume, lady before Jesus anoints Jesus. Start there with going. Now what do you mean by that? What I mean is treasure Jesus in your heart and let it overflow into all that you do. Treasure Jesus with what you have. He's not calling you to more complex scheduling. He's not calling you to go to a community one time a week, pull out of there, and get your mission bug taken care of. He's calling you to treasure him with your life. And how that works is by you actively engaging the mission of God with all that you have. It's a lot. It is. But it's not burdensome when you believe the gospel. The question for us, when we see the mission of God and the all-consuming nature of his mission, is not, uh, is not, wow, that's a burden. The question is, wow, have I even believed the gospel? Because of the fact that I see it as a burden. Treasure Jesus with what you have. Mark chapter 14. Acts chapter 4. Open your mouth and speak the word of God with boldness. The end of Acts chapter 4, all the believers are gathered together and they're praying. And they pray after persecution of Peter and John. They pray, Jesus, use us for your glory by giving us a, a word of boldness in our, in our tongues to see the gospel go forward like it never has before. Do that. And the last thing I want to say is John 15. John 15, sorry, John 13, verses 34 and 35. Commit to the church to love one another as the world watches. One of the best ways that we can cultivate the glory of the Lord in the earth is by devoting ourselves to our people and inviting the world to watch. Because what happens in the local church is a rehearsal. This is a Friday night rehearsal for the big play that's coming. We're rehearsing the ethics of the kingdom of God. And one day, Jesus is going to return, and he's going to break up in his fullness. And we're going to, it's not going to be rehearsal. It's going to be the real stage. The spotlight's going to be on Jesus, and we're going to be watching, and it's going to be glorious. But until then, we rehearse it. And we come, and the world watches, and they see this new kingdom, the upside downness of this kingdom, and says, what in the world is going on? And we preach the gospel. And Jesus saves because he is purchased before the foundation of the world people from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue to be represented before him, holy and blameless, to the praise of his glory, singing this song, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. And my prayer is that you would experience what it is like to have Christ dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.